Exodus chapters 5 and 6, hear the word of the Lord. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday, as in the past? The foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is your own people. But he said, You are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now go and work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task, each day. They met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, He has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and you will be, I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. 
I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Let's pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I was ordained as a pastor in my mid-twenties. I look back on that and I'm sort of alarmed that they would have done that uh, to someone so young. Uh, But there are a number of things that were different about me in those days. A trivial thing is that I still had a uh, a head of hair, and so I still went to to stylists or barbers or whatever to get my hair cut. Um, but there was another thing as well about me is that I was very confident and I knew how to do things, uh, but I was really very green and really didn't know how to speak for the Lord like I needed to. And one day I did go to a, a new barber, hairstylist, and and I began to engage her in conversation and and told her I was a Presbyterian pastor, and she told me she was Presbyterian, but she didn't seem to be too enthusiastic about it. So I wanted to dig a little more and and try to find out how much she really knew about the Word and about the Gospel, and if she really was a believer in Christ. And so I just launched into into an evangelistic uh, discussion with her. And I, I realized she wasn't really paying attention, and then she stopped me. And she said, I lost a child. And that was her way of saying, I really don't want to hear any more from you about the Lord. And so in my insensitivity and in my my ignorance and inexperience, I just sat there for the rest of the time in a very, very awkward silence while she cut my hair. And she gave me a terrible haircut. And I, I don't know that it was because she was so bad, but because she was so distraught. And and I went out of that experience not only with a a bad haircut, but went out of that experience feeling like a failure. I didn't know how to speak on behalf of the Lord to this woman, and also impressed with the fact that she was not able to hear anything that I wanted to say because her spirit was crushed. And as we look at this text, those are the two elements we have here. We have an inexperienced minister trying to speak for the Lord and, and making a mess of things, And we have a people, the people of God, who are not able to hear what he's saying because their spirits were crushed. And so let's pick up the the story here. And last week, you recall that at the end of chapter 4, things were going swimmingly well. Everything was going so well. Moses and Aaron come back. They talk to the leaders of the people. They show the signs that they have for the people that the Lord had given to them. In verse 29 of chapter 4, Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed 
And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. They were all united. They were all excited about what the Lord was about to do. And so we expect to turn the page and read that the Lord delivered his people, the end. But that's, that's not what happened. Moses and Aaron, all pumped up with this experience, armed with these signs, armed with this demand from the Lord, they march into Pharaoh's presence and they make their demand. In verse 1 of chapter 5, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. So take that. And then, unexpectedly for them, Pharaoh says, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know this Lord of yours. And no, I'm not going to let your people go. Now, apparently they hadn't anticipated this, or they weren't really prepared for it, or in the moment, it looks like they just started making stuff up. In in verse 3, they said, The God of the Hebrews has, has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And then they add, uh, lest he fall upon us and with pestilence or with sword. It, it looks like they're just making that up. We don't have any evidence that the Lord had threatened them with these things. But it's not an argument that would be, it would be really persuasive to Pharaoh. And so what does Pharaoh do? He says, well, I'll take care of these guys. I'll, I'll put a, a bigger burden on these slaves of mine. That's what he does. He says, says to the taskmasters, and the taskmasters, it mentions two groups here, the taskmasters, and it mentions the foremen. And the taskmasters were, were Egyptians, and the foremen were Hebrews. And so they did what, what governments often do, is they recruit from among the oppressed people to, to participate in the oppression of their own people. And that's what they did here. And so the, the strategy was this, uh, verse 6, they commanded the taskmasters, the people, and the foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. I had to look this up. I don't really know much about brick making, but there is a type of brick making where they use straw to reinforce it and to keep it from being too brittle, and that's the kind of bricks that they were made. And actually, actually, in some of the excavations in Egypt, there there are these kind of bricks that are that were made with straw. And so that's, that was the technology of the day. And, and the idea was, okay, we're not going to give one of you the ingredients, but we're going to require the daily quota as in the past. And so they enforced that. And he said, they're just being idle. That's why they're crying out and wanting to sacrifice to their God. And so verse 10, the taskmasters, those the Egyptians, the foremen of the people, they went out, they, they laid down the law, not going to give you straw. And so the people just had to scatter and they, they had to look for stubble, it says. They had to try to forage for, for pieces of straw wherever they could find it. Well, obviously, they weren't going to be able to make as much. And so the Egyptian taskmasters beat the, the, the Hebrew foreman. So they're, they're getting it from both sides here. And then these foremen, they go in and complain. In verse 15, they go into Pharaoh and say, why do you treat your servants like this? You don't give us straw, but you keep a, this demand upon us and we're beaten for it. And, and you're the ones who did this. And Pharaoh just sends them packing once again. No, go, go and work. No straw will be given to you. Now, what did Pharaoh accomplish by all this? Well, he was breaking the spirit of these people, but he was doing something even more important than that. In verse 19 and following, we find out that 
Moses and Aaron were waiting for them. Their turn with Pharaoh hadn't gone so well. And now the foremen go in, and we'll see how their turn with Pharaoh goes. And it didn't go well either. But when they come out, what do they say to to Moses and Aaron? They say, this is your fault. This is your fault. And and they're they're pretty exercised here and excited here. They they mix a metaphor, uh, but but that's what we do when we're 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 excited and, and and blurting out things. You have made us a stink in the sight of Pharaoh. So you've made a stink, made us a stink in his eyes. And so it's a mixed metaphor there. But but they're they're obviously upset with Moses and Aaron. You have put a sword in his hand to kill us. And then Moses, after being rebuked by the foreman goes back to the Lord and he accuses the Lord of doing evil to the people. He says, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? This was all your idea. And then why did you ever send me? In other words, you remember last week? He's saying, Lord, I told you so. I told you this was not a good idea to send me. I'm not the right person for the job. I've told you that over and over He says, for since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. Bold words, right? But it's interesting how much confidence Moses has to speak to the Lord. This maybe isn't the way to speak to the Lord, but it's impressive that Moses had this confidence to speak to the Lord like this. And later we read that they were friends and they spoke face to face, that there was an access there that was extraordinary. But here Moses, Moses ends saying, I was right. I wasn't the right person. And now the, the, the facts of the case justify that this was not a good idea. And I've told the Lord once again that this is not a good idea. Maybe you've felt like that at some point. You tried something. Seemed like a good idea. It seemed like what the Lord wanted you to do. And it turned out a mess and you failed and, and and you're downcast and you say lord why why did you ever send me out to do this i i thought i was following what you were telling me to do but why did you send me out this has just gotten worse than ever I, i've made a mess of things and maybe it's gotten to the point where you wondered if if you'd ever be useful to the lord maybe you're you're ready to, to give up and, and maybe even sort of hoping that he will let you off the hook. Maybe hoping that you, you won't have another opportunity because you've blown this one so badly. If you've ever had an experience like that, you can relate to Moses at the end of chapter 5. But we find out in chapter 6, and we find that the Lord keeps doing this with Moses, and he does something like this with us as well. When we come and say, Lord, I'm not the right person. This wasn't the right plan. This was not the right thing to do. He doesn't give up on Moses. He doesn't give up. And, and he actually kind of ignores him. He, he, he keeps ignoring his, ignoring or, or answering his complaints. But here, here he, he, he shoots over the, the, I'm not the right one for this. I'm not the one to do it. In chapter six, we have the Lord's response. And here, it's not at all about Moses. So whenever he gives his response, it's not a, oh, yes, Moses, you can. You're the right guy. You, you can do this. He doesn't give him a, give him a motivational speech and, and tell him how wonderful he is. The Lord always points to himself. 
as if to say that that's not the issue. Who you are, Moses? That that's not really the issue here. How does he start this speech? He says in verse six or chapter six, rather, verse one. Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of the land. Now, now what's going on here? Whose strong hand are we talking about here? We're talking about Pharaoh's strong hand. And then later, we find about the Lord's strong arm. And so he's saying, I will take charge here, and I will take Pharaoh's strong hand, and Pharaoh's strong hand will drive them out. So it's the Lord's, he's, 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 I guess we could say literally strong arming Pharaoh so that Pharaoh's strong hand becomes an instrument in the Lord's hands. Now think about that. Moses saying, I'm not the right man for the job. Pharaoh's just too big a, an opponent. And God's saying, you see that strong hand that, that Pharaoh has? That, that, that hand that is now clenched as a fist with which he's pounding the people of Israel? I'm going to take that strong hand and I'm going to use that strong hand to do what I want to be done. So, it's not so much a question of the fitness of the instrument. Was Pharaoh a fit instrument in the Lord's hands? Was he, was he the one that was the, uh, the, the most righteous and the most holy and the most capable one to be serving the Lord and doing his will? On the contrary, he's the one that said, I do not know the Lord. And so the Lord says to Moses, Moses, I'm going to take the one who says he doesn't know me and I'm going to use his hand to thrust out the people from the land. And then God gave a speech and he starts the speech and he ends the speech in the same way. And in the middle of the speech, he says the same thing. And it's this. You got it. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. That's the answer. That's the answer to Moses' consternation. That's the answer to the suffering of the people. That's the, mo- the answer to, to Moses' failure. That's the answer to, to all of the problems here. And that's the thing that, that uh, Pharaoh is going to learn. What did Pharaoh say? I don't know the Lord. Now pay attention over the next chapters because there is a repeated refrain that they may know, that he may know, so that they may know. So pay attention because over the next chapters we are going to find that this Pharaoh who said, I don't know the Lord, I'm not going to let his people go. And also the people themselves who were resistant. And Moses who was resistant. By the end of this, they are going to know the Lord. And here he's announcing what he's going to do. And in this, this speech here that Moses receives from the Lord, there are a number of things that we've already seen. There's repetition here. There's repetition about that I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that I made my covenant with them. I promised that I would give this land of Canaan, the promised land to them. I promise that that I will bring you out of this land and introduce you into that land. There there is a a great deal of of repetition of what we've already seen. But in this speech, I want to point out a few new elements because there are some gems here. I wouldn't say hidden gems because they're actually lying on the surface, but there are important elements that are kind of new information here for us. And the first one is this. The first one is God revealed himself progressively in 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 history he didn't come and just and and give a a kind of a the whole bible plunked down at once 
He says here in verse 3, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. In Hebrew, it's El Shaddai. You've maybe heard that. It's, 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 we don't really know exactly what that means. This is our best effort. El means God. Shaddai, something like powerful or almighty. That's the kind of the best guess that we have of what that, that title meant. But he says, but by my name, the Lord, Yahweh, I am who I am. Go back to chapter 3, where he reveals that name. He says, I did not make myself known to them. So in the past, I made myself known one way. And now in the present, I am making myself known in another way. I was known by this name in the past. Now I have revealed to you a new name that I want you to know now. This is, this is how I will be known. And so that's, that's the first thing. God's revelation of himself is progressive. So the amazing thing about that is, is we have the possibility of knowing more about God than they did. Because God has revealed himself progressively over the ages. That's the, that's the first thing. The second thing is this. In verse 6, we have an interesting, interesting expression. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. So here's in the middle. At the beginning, he says what? I am the Lord. In the middle, he says, I am the Lord. And he says, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. So God's outstretched arm is going to take the mighty hand of Pharaoh and do his will. But there's an expression here that it doesn't show up much, uh, and, and that is this expression, I will redeem you. It doesn't show up in this period very much. This is an expression that we get in the book of Ruth. I will play the kinsman to you. I will play the near relative to you. And there is this, this laws and extension of laws in the Old Testament where is if somebody falls into a problem, oftentimes a debt or slavery, the kinsman, the, the near relative has the opportunity and the responsibility to go and to buy them out of debt. So, so God is saying to you, I will be a relationship to you. I will be a, a near relation to you and fulfill the obligation of the kinsman to you. An interesting expression, interesting way of saying it. And the third thing is this. This is a, a new expression and it becomes it becomes a, a motto or it becomes a summary of God's covenant. We keep hearing about God's covenant, God's covenant, God's covenant. We have the essence of it summarized in verse 7. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. If somebody stops you on the street after this or calls you up and says, I heard you went to church this morning. Uh, what did you talk about? You could say, well, we talked about a number of things. We talked about Jesus. We talked about, uh, talked about the Lord. We talked about the covenant, covenant. What's the covenant? What's the essence of the covenant? Well, one good way to, to summarize the essence of the covenant is, I will be your God and you will be my people. And when we get to the book of Jeremiah, the prophecy of Jeremiah, where Jeremiah is preaching about the new covenant that God will establish with his people in fulfillment of the old covenant, three times this expression comes out in Jeremiah's preaching. God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. That is the essence of the blessing of the covenant. Now, these details, these details provide the solution 
to the failures that we see going on here in Exodus, but they also provide the, the solution to your failures and to my failures. Because God didn't stop revealing himself in the time of Exodus. He kept revealing himself all through the Old Testament, and then he revealed himself in the most magnificent and glorious and the fullest way possible in the person of Jesus Christ. He gave us a new name to call him, and that name is Jesus. And what does Jesus mean? It means that the Lord, Yahweh, saves. Yahweh saves. In addition, this idea of being our kinsman, we see how he fulfilled that ultimately by becoming one of us. By becoming one of us. So he says, I will play the role of your near relation. How can God play the role of our near relation? Well, we have the answer in Jesus as well. He became our near relation. He became flesh and blood, just like one of us, except without sin. And if you want a commentary on that, read the letter to the Hebrews. In chapter 2, verse 7, the writer says, It was necessary that he be made like his brethren in every respect in order that he might be faithful in the service of God and make propitiation, make sacrifice for the sins of the people. How does he buy us out? By becoming one of us and rescuing us. And then by buying us out of our slavery as one of us, he fulfilled that greatest blessing of the covenant. I will be your God. And you will be my people. So we've heard that the solutions on Moses' lips, or rather the problems on Moses' lips, we can relate to him. And here are the answers for Moses, and here are the answers. And we have a better understanding of this than even Moses had. Why? Because we're on the, the latter side of this, this revelation. Well, this is all great news, and, and Moses, once again, tried to go to the people with this great news. Verse 9 Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. You'd think he'd, once again, great news. God's going to be our, our kinsman. God is going to make us his people, and, and we're going to be his people, and he's going to be our God. And Moses makes another attempt, but it says in verse 9, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses. Pharaoh didn't listen to Moses. The people of Israel didn't listen to Moses because of their broken spirit, and harsh slavery. So Moses, Moses once again, he he argues with God. Verse 12, Moses said, the people of Israel not listen to me. How shall Pharaoh listen to me? Nobody listens to me. And then he says, once again, I'm disqualified. I I have uncircumcised lips. Now that might seem a strange expression for us, but basically kind of saying, I have pagan lips. I have unpure lips. I have lips that have not been cleansed. I, I can't speak for you, Lord, because this is what I'm like. I'm impure, and my lips are impure. And then once again, the Lord spoke to Moses, gave him a charge about the people of Israel, sent him once again into the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And you could you could not blame Moses for getting a bit frustrated here and saying to the Lord, Lord, you're not listening to me. 
I keep telling you over and over, and the facts are bearing out that this is not a good idea, and I'm not the right person for the job. And and God just keeps shooting over that and saying, go again, go again. This is what I am going to do, because I am the Lord. Then we have this interruption here that I didn't read. Not an interruption, but is a is a parenthesis, and there's a there's a genealogy of Moses and Aaron. And I commend you to read that. We're not going to study that. It's got some interesting details in there that are fascinating, some of them intriguing. But but what this genealogy does is it connects not only the Lord to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but it connects Moses and Aaron to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he's taking not only himself back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he is taking Moses and Aaron back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and one of Jacob's sons named Levi. And so he's 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 drawing them both back to that time when he made his promise with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and looking forward to that time when he would do something very, very special with Levi. And then verses 28 and 20 uh, to 30 of, of chapter 6 are kind of the summary of things up to this point. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord, tell Pharaoh king of Egypt all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? That's how chapter 6 ends. How did chapter 4 end? Chapter 4 ended with this hold hands, dance around, united worship service because the Lord has spoken. He's given us these signs. Oh, by the way, did you notice that Moses forgot about the signs when he got nervous in front of Pharaoh? He didn't even, he didn't even use the signs. It looks like he just froze and, and didn't use them, but but he was all pumped up at the end of chapter 4. We got the signs. We got the word. We're going in. He's going to let us go. And then at the end of chapter 6, we have a defeated Moses once again trying to get out of his calling. We have people suffering even more than they were before Moses and Aaron showed up. And we have them blaming Moses and Aaron. The people were too crushed in spirit to hear the good news. They couldn't hear the word of the Lord even though it was being announced to them. They couldn't hear it because they were crushed more than ever. Perhaps you've felt like that at some point in your life. You've been sitting in church. The preacher's saying the words. The scripture's being read. The songs are being sung. The prayers are being offering offered, but just not getting to you. You're just too crushed in spirit, or you sit down at your desk and you open the Bible and you try to read, but it's just not getting to you because your spirit is crushed, maybe crushed because of a failure of your own, or maybe crushed because of suffering in your life and the life of your loved ones, or crushed because you look around the world and you wonder what in the world is going on and what God is doing and why He doesn't seem to be doing what you think He should be doing and the word just doesn't get through to you every preacher sounds like a man with uncircumcised lips and you just can't hear it your 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 crushed spirit is stopping up your ears i think i've mentioned to you that that one of the things i did in seminary to try to learn how to preach and to try to do evangelism was to go out on the streets of philadelphia and do street preaching on corners where people would 
be waiting for the trolley or the bus or the subway or whatever it might be. And I'd have a, a minute or two, and some, some of us seminarians would go out there on the street corner. And we would just preach a real clear, simple gospel message. And then, then the idea was the, the other seminarians in the crowd would turn to the people next to them and say, hey, what would you think about that? And try to strike up a conversation. It was simple. It was respectful. I hope it wasn't ranting and crazed as, as maybe you've seen in some cases. But, but people would sometimes come up and challenge us or come up and ask us questions. And, and I was standing there once and a woman came up to me and she had a question for me. And it was this question. It's a question you've asked yourself. It's a question that pretty much everybody's asked at some point. And that was this. Does God really care? And she wasn't actually talking about herself so much. She says, I look around the world and I see so much suffering in the world. And she said, does God really care? And I was a seminarian, right? So I had all the answers. And so I was prepared. I think this is apologetics 101, the problem of evil. And so I'm going sort of through my mind about how I'm going to answer this. But thankfully, thankfully, I didn't go back and give some brilliant response that would have been about as sensitive as my words to the, the woman who was cutting my hair. I simply said this. Yes. God does care. And to my amazement, she brightened up and she said, thank you. That's what I wanted to know. And she left. And that's the that's the message I want you to take away today. God really does care. And I can prove it to you. I can prove it to you. Because God, the Lord, He became our kinsman, one of us, and He redeemed us from our sins by the death of Jesus on the cross. In the resurrection from the dead. If, if ever you ask yourself that question, as you will, does God really care? Look to Jesus and you'll have the answer. God does care. Let's pray. Lord, we, we don't blame Moses. We're getting upset and discouraged thinking he was washed up, wanting to get off the hook, get out of the responsibility. We've been there. We don't blame him either for, for wondering what you were doing because it looked like you were making things worse than rather than better. And we look around, we look inside and we look around and, and we find messes all over the place. And we can scratch our heads or even despair and say, what are you doing, Lord? And why, why me? Why another failure on my part? Lord, I, I pray for those who are hearing this today who are crushed in spirit. I pray that your word, even if any words that I say don't get through, that your word would get through to them. And I pray, Father, that as we look at our lives and we're distressed by our failures, we're distressed by suffering, our own or others, I pray that you would break through to us, that you would unstop our ears, that you would speak to us and show us once again, Jesus, 
and remind us that you really do care. And you showed us that by sending your own son who became our kinsman and gave his life for us. We pray this in his name.